Just how good can Jalen Williams be? We'll talk about that in today's show, as well as the fantasy preview for the entire Oklahoma City Thunder team, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Ludner. I'm the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Okay, Thunder time. We're going to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder in this show. Simple as that. I don't know what more I need to say. Uh, Warnie. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, quickly, um, information again on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. The entry form has been simplified. Much easier. One question, that is it. Or two, actually. What sort of league do you want? And answer the question that I'm going to reveal the answer to later in this show today. Get those entries in. Invites will be coming out steadily over the next coming uh, few days, and we will start drafts next week. We're talking Thunder, a intriguing team, an intriguing team. That's proper English, and we're going to talk about all the things we need to talk about. Let's have a crack at their schedule for the upcoming season. 45 quality games the Thunder have. They're right smack bang in the middle with um, 14 back-to-backs. They've got 14 maximum weeks. That's not the minimum. That's actually right in the middle for their max game weeks as well. And their playoff schedule is okay. It's not great. It's just okay. 4-3-3 for 24th of March. 3-3-4 for 31st of March. 3-4-4 for the 7th of April. And they finish off with the maximum um, if you do go to the final week of the regular season where they go 4-4-4. What are the pressure points for the Thunder, the the drone view of this team? We expect, finally, thank thank God, all of the um, tanking and all that nonsense and the narrative, more importantly, surrounding that is gone. The fake injury narrative, we're out of that. And you know that I pushed back really hardly against that last season, uh, but that's gone now. I think maybe we might be overrating the Thunder where people were thinking they could get us. People tell me they could be Western Conference finalists. Maybe. I don't think so, but maybe. At least we're in a situation where they are very competitive. But what we need to understand or what we need to figure out with this team is that Mark Dagnall last season, when they were pushing for the plane, there were still games where he was like, I'm just sticking to my process. I'm going to run my 12-man rotation. Um, I'm not going to put the bigger name players back in at certain times if they've struggled. And he's sort of stuck with a weird, let's just rotate guys in and out and change things up and see what we've got. Are they still doing that? Are they still in evaluation mode? I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. Obviously, they're not making big splashes in trades or free agency. They're banking entirely on internal growth. And I would argue that this is probably at least for half a season, another evaluation season because we don't know how Chet Holmgren works on this team. We don't know. We think it's going to be good, but we honestly don't know. So I'm not saying that they're going to, that it's tanking or anything like that, but we might see just a bunch of Dagnall randomness. Now, Dagnall, I think, 
without actually sitting and ranking them. Maybe I'll do a show on that. I don't know. Ranking the top coaches. He's probably, I'll say top three, just to be hyperbolic. Top three coach in the NBA. He's unbelievably good. But there is frustration that comes with that sometimes for fantasy. So that's a, that's a problem. That's why Giddy played so few minutes last season. That, that That's probably the major one. Like early in the season, Jalen Williams would start and come off the bench. And then we'd rotate through the Pig Williams and JRE and guys like that at center. I think we're going to have more stability, but I'm not ruling out that there's going to be uh, nonsense that goes on with this squad. We also don't know the usage hierarchy. Well, we do know. We know who's at the top. It's Shea. He's number one. But then is it Jalen? Is it Giddy, who had decently high usage last season? Where does Chet fit into it? Is Lou Dort going to still miss the most shots in the entire league? I don't know. They're, these are big question marks. And we saw that without any real centers on the roster last season, they had to play a different scheme. They put so much pressure on the ball on the perimeter. That's why Shea and Jalen Williams had insane steal numbers. It's why Giddy improved his steal numbers. It's why Shea was able to have high block numbers because they just didn't have any interior presence. But now they do. They have legitimately, theoretically, one of the best rim protectors in the NBA in Shed Holmgren. That is how good his rim protection instincts are. Does that mean they can play a bit more conservative on the perimeter? Or do they keep up the aggression knowing that there's someone behind them that's going to clean it up? That's, that's a question mark. Because if they do change that scheme because someone behind them is capable, maybe some of those big steal numbers that were, were fueling a lot of Jalen and Shea's numbers, <clears throat> maybe they come down. I don't know that that's the case, but it's definitely a risk because it's... You're replacing six foot eight power forward Jeremiah Robinson, who literally might be out of the NBA in a day's time, to Chet Holmgren being the starting center, and that is it's a it's a sizable difference. I don't think there's any debate about that. Today's episode is brought to you by DoorDash. DoorDash now does groceries instead of just getting your meals delivered. They can bring you whatever you need. From the grocery store, just like you're, you've loved and you've known through using the DoorDash app. You've trusted DoorDash to deliver those meals from your restaurants. And now you get grocery delivery as well. With thousands of grocery stores to choose from, you get the best one in your local area and enable you to help support the local economy as well. You get exactly what you ordered. And if you don't, they'll fix it up for you. They've got best-in-class customer support as well. So just sit back and enjoy those groceries that you ordered. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use the code LOCKEDONNBA at checkout. It's a limited time offer and terms apply. That's 50% off up to $20, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's the code LOCKEDONNBA for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. So who are the breakout candidates on this team? I've got three guys there. They're not all going to do it. And again, by breakout candidate, I mean who's exceeding their projections. This is, again, going to seem contradictory, but I do have Josh Giddy on this list because later on, I think there's a risk that he's a bust when I talk about it. But if something dramatically changes, it's not hard to see and squint and see a top 40 season. It's going to take a lot to get there. He needs to hit his free throws. He needs to get to the line more. He needs to generate bigger defensive stats. And he needs to make sure he's playing more than 30 minutes a night. It's a lot of ifs. But that's not hard to see. Like seeing Lou Dort average 25 points a game and seven assists is literally impossible to see. Giddy at it getting to 28 and 8 
with 1.2 steals and shooting 46% and 78 from the line. That's not impossible. It's very unlikely, but it's not impossible. What if Jalen Williams just becomes a stud? Yes, you know which Jalen I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Bronco. Broncos country, let's ride. Shout out to the Broncos today, letting my Miami Dolphins drop 70 on their heads as well. Um, What if he's actually a star? I was higher on Jalen Williams probably than a lot of people at the start of last season. Um, but I think at the moment, I'm probably a little bit lower on him. I think that there we have a tendency to overreact to the final two and a half months of a rookie's, rookie season. And it doesn't always work that the way that we think it's going to work moving forward. I thought he was really good in that stretch. Obviously, he was very important. I didn't... There were people who were going, he should be rookie of the year. I never agreed with any of that. Um, there were a few things that he did down the stretch of last season, Jalen. And we're going to go... We're going to put him under the lens soon. That I just wasn't sure was going to happen. But... Or, or it's, it's likely to continue. But again, we look at what he's doing now and where he's projected for. What if he just it clearly becomes the number two guy and he's a 20-point scorer and he does it with passing and defense and huge efficiency? Again, can't rule it out. And the same with Chet. It's hard to say he's a breakout when he hasn't played. But we go in and we have some you know, sort of conservative estimations of what he does. But honestly, what if Chet comes out, plays 32 minutes, 17 and 10 with three blocks? I'm telling you now, that is not outrageous. It would be outrageous if I told you Derek Lively was going to do that. It would be outrageous if I told you that Trace Jackson Davis was going to do that. Honestly, it would have been outrageous if I told you that Jalen Duran or Mark Williams are going to do that this season or last season. Chet is an unbelievable prospect, and I think we forget how good he is. So he's got... A, we haven't had a rookie have a top 20 fantasy season for a long time. I think since Towns, maybe, and before that, Steph, and before that, Chris Paul, I believe. Chet could do it. He's very good. He's really good. And I'm really excited to see how those three guys, in particular, all work together, along with, of course, Shea Gillis-Alexander. Let's put the Bronco under the lens. Broncos country, let's ride. His numbers are a little bit deceiving. 104th for Yahoo Points Leagues, 97th for ESPN, minus one category rank of 99th. It's all well and good. Played 30 minutes a game for the season. But, but, let's look at the final um, 40, 40 games of the year. 33 minutes, 16, 5, and 4, with 1.8 steals, shooting 53 and 85. And that's what I really want to dig into here is this what he was able to do down the stretch. And you can see on this graph, very interesting, the field goal percentage for Jalen Williams is the graph we've got up there. It is it is a little bit inconsistent, even though he was shooting really high, high numbers. He was going, yeah, two-pointers at like 58, but he was also shooting his threes at an astonishing number. And he started out really poor after he had that fractured head, fractured eye socket. Um, but he started hitting him at 44%. Now, he didn't do that at college. He wasn't a 40% three-point shooter. There is a risk to me, and it's on low volume. It's on under three attempts per game in 33 minutes. It's low volume. So that means it can go either way really quickly. And even then you see it, like he's not a particularly high volume guy. He was, un, for the final 40 games of the season, under 20 usage. And even as we got later into the year when Shea missed some time, he was only 20 usage, not a, not a high usage player. But there's a lot of variation in some of his shooting. It got more stable as the, as the year went on, but there is variation. I'll show you this one, the minutes per week. That obviously improved as the season went on. Not really a shock with that. That brings me into showing you that how that ties into his steal numbers, which were obviously insane. 
And we know the number that I believe he led the league in total steals from January 1st onwards. Unbelievable value. That's super impressive for a rookie. 1.8 steals over the final 40 games is huge. How many total steals was that? It's 71. But as you can see on this graph, steals are such a weird category for fantasy. They're low volume. He's having these big weeks, and he had a big week of 12 steals in a week. That's that's not bad, right? But as a general rule, an average fantasy team will average one to one point to one point one to one. So try again. One to one point one steals per player on a team. Meaning for a week, you probably get about 13 steals per player. So you're looking at, let's say, as a general rule, you play 50 games for the week, 45 games for the week, you got 45 steals. Okay, so Williams has these big weeks where he gets 12. That all that's really, really, that's really impressive. But they can vary so much. Like he goes 12, 8, 10, 3, 5, 4, 9, 2. As each NBA game is like 110 possessions. 55 each way. So there's 55 opportunities in a game to get a steal. I know I talk about this a lot. It's one play. That's all it takes for you to get a steal. But it's also something that's just not a consistent accumulator. It's very, very up and down. And to begin the year, it wasn't like he was never playing. He never got steals. Like 4, 2, 3, 2, 1, 0, 3, 1, 1, 4. And then he took off. Not saying he's not a good defender. He is. But a 40-game sample of fluctuating but still big steals doesn't mean that he sticks at 1.8. We know, and if you don't know, welcome to the show. We know that the most variable category year-on-year without fail over the last four years has been steals. The number of steals people get change the most out of anything. Second is free throw percentage. So we rely upon that. It can be tough. What about his minus one rank? Well, it's a huge improvement. We see this. There are some amazing weeks here. Top 30, top 10, top 10, top 40, top 30. Ignore that last week. But consistent improvement. It's what you hope out of rookies, and we hope it continues. He was really good, but I just still don't know how to sort of view Jalen for this upcoming season. One thing that is encouraging, you don't see this with rookies. You do a little bit, but you don't see that level of change, which is his Darko DPM change, all that often. Now, to be clear, if you go look at his Darko number, he was still actually listed as a negative player on Darko. He, by the end of the season, he just just pipped his little head just above the positive line, but he was negative. But as a rookie, to rise that quickly was impressive. Now, as he got into a larger role, the rate of change slowed down a little bit, and he is a little bit older. So also, just remember, there were just a few factors before we go too hog wild on him. But... I thought people would be much higher on Jalen Williams coming into this season. I thought that people would take him round three, and they're not. He's going later than I thought. At the moment, the Bronco is being drafted. Or it's all over the place, to be honest. His ADP is 59 on Fantrax. That's bang on to me. 63rd on Yahoo, bang on. 96 on ESPN, come on, what are we doing? But ranked 51st on ESPN, okay, maybe a little bit high. There are just a number of things where I just want to see it more. I, I, I truly believe in Jalen Williams as a very good player. Do I think he can be a top two player on a conference finals team? I don't think so. Do I think he can be a very, very good number three player on one of those teams? Yes. But I worry that 
what we saw was insane three-point shooting, insane steal rate over those final three months of the season, bumping him way up and turning him into this absolute darling. Now, he's big. He's gotten stronger. He's got long arms. He is playing out of position. And I just have a few worries of everything just continuing on that same trajectory this season. Not saying we don't draft him. And I am glad that he hasn't been sort of bumped too high up. And if you're talking ESPN, getting drafted at 96, like that, you love that. You take that every day of the week. I found it hard to try and find players to compare him to when I'm do, do my basketball index search for, for numbers. I didn't find it particularly easy. So what I went with was a bunch of sort of wings who have defensive ability with some offensive skills as well. And that's what I found. I've got Mikael Bridges on here, Jalen Brown, Andy Wiggins, Jaden McDaniels, OG Ananobi, and DeAnthony Melton, who some of those skew a bit offensively, some of them skew defensively, but all in that group. So I'm mainly looking at his defensive stuff because if he's 1.2 steals versus 1.8, it's a 50-45 spot ranking difference. On the Y-axis, got the difficulty of the matchup. That's what basketball index tracks. And why I think this is important, maybe not as much for this season, but maybe in the future, is that all of those guys, Brown, Bridges, Wiggins, McDaniels, Ananobi, Melton, the lowest of those was in terms of percentile of matchup difficulty was Jalen Brown at about the 87th percentile. Everyone else is around 100, taking on the hardest offensive matchups on the other team. The Broncos down at about 55. Now, why do I bring that up? Because Lou Dort was doing all of that hard work. But Lou Dort is not a long-term starter on this team. He's not going to be. Jalen Williams is going to be the Lou Dort position role. They're going to probably have to get a four in there, but Lou Dort is not going to continue. So Jalen is probably going to be tasked, maybe as early as this season, as being someone who takes on more responsibility matchup-wise. The other thing that I want to look at is that deflections per 75 percentile. That can help in terms of generating steals. And the guys that are the, the consistent steals guys are right up there, 90th percentile. Ojin Anobi, D'Anthony Melton. We know they are going to be very good steals guys. Whether they lead the league or not, they're going to be very good. Jalen Williams is in the same spot as Andrew Wiggins, less than Jaden McDaniels, who only got to steal a game, and a little bit above Jalen Brown in like the 65th percentile for deflections. Meaning that maybe... Just maybe that some of those steal numbers that Williams was putting up, it might not be a true indication of him maintaining that level of production all the way through. I'm not suggesting that, again, I'm not suggesting he's not good. I do think he is quite good. But again, it's a 40-game sample size where he was playing a lot of off-ball sort of defense, not guarding the hard blokes, and not generating much in terms of deflections compared to the other elite steals players and what if those opportunities where he's just not it means he's not getting his hands on balls as much he's getting the steals the same level but he's not getting the deflections the same level what if those some of those ones that were steals just don't turn into them anymore because he's not getting as many steal opportunities as those other players again it's just something to bear in mind but given where he's being drafted at the moment it's not it's not really actually a giant concern at this point I, I don't think I don't think I don't really think there's any real true sleepers on this team. You can pick and choose certain situations, no doubt. I can tell you that Jalen Williams getting drafted at 96 on ESPN, 
is, is a sleeper. I love it. That's fantastic value. I can sit there and tell you that Chet Holmgren ranked at 86 on ESPN is unbelievable value. I love that. But there's no one that's sort of doing that right across the board. So I don't have anyone listed as a sleeper for the Thunder. We'll get back and we'll have a look to see whether I've actually got any busts listed. And I do. Um, but quickly, just the quick question I want to throw out there for the Locked On Fantasy Basketball entry, Locked On Fantasy Basketball bowl entry. And it is going to refer to the Bronco. Do I throw a number question or do I throw a name question out there? Hmm. Let's throw a number question out there. How old is the Bronco, Jalen Williams? 22. That's it. 22. Just write 22 as the number on the entry form. Jalen Williams is 22. I think Josh Giddy might be a bust. And again, you might think that that flies in the face of what I said regarding um, breakouts. It's because I think there's a chance that he breaks out, but I think drafting him near these spots means that he basically has to. And that's where I'm not loving that in particular. Giddy played 31 minutes a night, 16.5 points, 8 boards, 6 rebounds, 0.8 steals, a 3, 48 and 73 is his percentages, and got to the line two times despite so many drives. He was much improved. He improved his shooting numbers, absolutely. He had a minus one rank last season of 79. 79 was his minus one rank last season. So be aware that when you're looking at overall ranking numbers that maybe, maybe some of the things don't necessarily always add up. And does he get those same rebounds with Chet Holmgren there this season? It's got to be the question, doesn't it? The other thing is, is that Dagnot showed absolutely no compunction in benching Giddy if he wasn't, didn't have it. And now he actually has a real backup in Vasily Micic. Micic? Micic? I think it's Micic. Someone who is Serbian, please correct me. I think it's Misic, because there's no um, critical mark above the first C. I think it's Misic. Um, he's got a real backup. And when you draft Giddy with a rank of 62 on Yahoo and an ADP of 60 and a 56 on Fantrax and a 54 on ESPN and a 43 rank for points leagues, well, you're bloody hoping that he takes a step forward. And I, it's just hard to look at a guy. As much, I love Josh Giddy. As much as hard as as much as we like the guy, like to draft him in round five, maybe going well. I'm just hoping that everything is much better, and I'm not. I'm not sure that it is. I think there is risk that he still only plays 31. He still doesn't hit free throws, and maybe he loses rebounds. It's not hard to see that, and that's where I get to a few issues now for points leagues. Yeah, that rank of 43 on points leagues, I think, is actually okay for ESPN. And 62 on a Yahoo points league is probably okay. He's fine with those numbers. But it really depends on where you're drafting him. Like, I don't know. There's just an element of risk here with Giddy. Like, if you're getting Giddy at 57 in the ESPN points league, I love that. But in a category league, I, I'm not sure that there's a huge amount in that. Now, I still do believe in him long term. I think that over the next two to three years, the shot will come along. He'll start taking more threes. He'll get to the line more. The free throw percentage will go up. Defensively, I'm still worried. But I do think that he is he's a very good player. He's an unstoppable driver and very good passer. I'm just worried that some of these numbers put him a little bit too high at the moment. What about injuries? Well, obviously, Chet Holmgren missed all of last season. He was fine, ready to go, I think, at the end of the year. But he's fine, ready to go now, which is great. 
Poku's not. He's injured. Ankle injury is going to miss the beginning of the season. I heard a podcast the other day on Hardwood Knox, I think it was, talking with some the Thunder guys, and they were like, I, I think Poku's going to have a pretty sizable role. And I'm like, huh, really? I wasn't, wasn't really banking on him having a sizable role. It's going to be hard for him to do it now, I think, considering that he's going to be out for the first six weeks or so of the season or first couple of weeks of the season. But in order to find Poku a role that generates enough fantasy value, I, I don't really see how it gets there. And I'm actually losing faith in him becoming a starting caliber player. The other one that is injured at the moment is Victor Oladipo, who's going to miss a big chunk of the season. And I'm going to be honest with you, this team still needs to make multiple cuts. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be one of them. They've still got to make three... Um, cuts off their roster. And I think it's going to be Oladipo, Jack White, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl is my guess. But Oladipo is currently injured and won't be ready to begin the season. In terms of a guy most likely to be traded, I think Trey Mann is out the door. I know that he's requested a trade behind the scenes quietly. Um, He's never going to play on this squad. I don't think he's all that good particularly. Uh, They'd want to get some big men back because they do have Chet, but behind him there is nobody. Uh, That's not true, actually. Behind him there is... One of our favourites, Olivier Saar. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. We know Olivier Saar can be a really good fantasy player. He's on a two-way. And if you don't know, his brother might be a top five pick. I'm going to make sure I get down to see him. Uh, he's playing in Australia this season, Alex Saar. Uh, yeah, I reckon he's going to be a top five pick. That's Olivier's brother. Really excited to see what that uh, what that looks like. Contract year players, both Poku and Lindy Waters are restricted. Lindy Waters is brought back on a uh, two-way deal. <sighs> okay, cool. And Oladipo is unrestricted and probably doesn't play. So what's what's the risks here? What are the rotation risks? Well, Dort's minutes is key. I don't think they can afford to play Dort huge minutes. I think he's just too bad offensively. Now, he is good defensively. Unbelievably good defensively. Maybe sometimes overrated, but pretty good. Really good when he really locks in. But if they just can't stomach the offensive suckiness... That's going to put more pressure on Giddy. It's going to put more pressure on Chet. It's going to put more pressure on Jalen Williams. If they run more minutes for Dort, that means you have less impact for Giddy and less impact for Williams because of just playing time. And then your bench guys like you know, Ujman Jang who be pushing for some minutes or whether even Trey Mann or Isaiah Joe, how much do they get into the action? And then the other one is Giddy versus Micic. Now, then I know there are people who are European who watch this show and I have had discussions, polite, sort of, with them, who tell me, no, Micic is a EuroLeague MVP, he's going to come in and start for the Thunder. And to that, I tell you, absolutely no way. That's just, it's never happening. It is not going to happen. But, Micic will be in the rotation, he will be the backup point guard, and there will be games, I fear, part of why I think Giddy might be a bust at some of those spots, is that there'll be nights where Giddy's struggling, the shot's not there, defensively he's sucking, not that Micic is a good uh, defender necessarily, Vasilij might come in and play 21 minutes and Giddy plays 28. It's a risk. It's a low risk. And Micic isn't going to be a guy that we look at as a standard league player unless Giddy gets hurt. But the minutes distribution there is a little risky as well. If I want to look at real permanent monsters on this team, if Poku played 30, we'd love him for fantasy. He put up great numbers, but the chances of that happening are pretty low. Let's look at the depth chart. At guard, it's Gideon Shea. Don't let fantasy science fool you. Josh Giddy is not a power forward. Josh Giddy is not a center. Shout out to basketball reference. Josh Giddy is a point guard. He runs point guard. Him and Shea evenly split the ball handling duties. 
They are the guards on this team. And the fact that he has power forward eligibility on Yahoo, but no point guard is silly. I haven't really spoken about Shea. He should go in the top five, really, of every draft, even though I do have some concerns. Remember this time last season with Shea? No one, absolute non, do not draft player. Do not touch him anywhere. And I had him 20th before the preseason knee injury, and then I had him at 40th, I think. And, but I absolutely was still in it because you know my thoughts on the, the resting and the fake injury nonsense, which I think we know which side that came out on. I, I, I won one for once. Good. Um, but Shea did things that you don't see. He took his free throw percentage up by 10 percentage points and added four more attempts per game. He took his field goals absolutely up and through the roof. He did that while also increasing his steals and his block numbers. Everything increased. And it is very hard for me to look at those numbers and not see one of them declining. There's a bloke who's like 81 from the line, 81 from the line, 81 from the line. Oh, yeah, 91. Okay, cool. There's a guy that was like 48, 46, 48, 51. Okay. Now, if Shea decides that he's going to take more threes because he basically eliminated them last season, his field goal percentage is going to drop. If he goes from an unbelievable 91% from the line to 86, his value is going to drop. If the fact that Chet is there means he doesn't protect the rim as much, then his value is going to drop. And all of those are very reasonable things. And it's hard to see where Chet, uh, no, Chet, where Shea actually gets better because even if he hits more threes, what that probably does is drop his field goal percentage down. And they cancel each other out, if not make him actually worse. So he might not be a top five player this season. doesn't matter. He's still taking there. But I do have some of those concerns that everything that jumped way up, is it going to stick or get better? Or is there a chance that one to two of them decrease? I love him. He's a top five MVP finisher last season. I think I had him, I want to say fourth on my MVP ballot, which is fake. I don't have a real one. But I just have some concern that maybe there's a little little dip in some of those numbers. The backup guards, Misic, uh, Isaiah Joe, who's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. And every time you look for threes off the waiver wire, he should be the guy you look to. This uh, old mate, Kaysan Wallace. I think Wallace is going to play reasonable minutes in the G League this season. Because there's just not playing time here. Now, eventually, I can say that Jalen Williams is a Dort replacement. Wallace could also be the Dort replacement. Because even though he's a point guard, like him and Shea and Giddy can all play together. And he's not the level of passer that Giddy is. He's not the level of driver that Shea is. But he's also a Kentucky guard. And uh, underestimating those guys usually uh, is bad news for you, as I did with Emmanuel Quickly. <clears throat> he's not going to do much this season, I don't think. If Mishis comes over and he's 30 and he just gets cooked continually, well, Wallace will jump ahead of him. Then there's Trey Mann, who probably will never play for this team. On the wings, it is Dort and it is Williams. As you can see, they play pretty small. Two guards, two wings. Dort, absolutely not draftable in 10 or 12 or 14-team leagues. Midwest Dylan Brooks is one of the worst shooters in the NBA. He was 40% at the rim or something, something crazy. He's terrible. But he's quite a good defender, but it doesn't mean anything for fantasy. And then there's Lindy Waters. We want to talk about the best shooters. He's one of them as well. And I can't believe that he had to come back on a two-way. Team should have just been investing in him. Not even investing. Like, just throw a contract at him. Boston, you put one out there for my Luke. Try this guy. He's big and he can shoot. Didn't really understand that. They're not starting a traditional forward. But the guy I'm watching here is Usman Jeng, who struggled a bit as a rookie, but he's very young. He can pass. He's tall. 
the shooting is the issue, but he can defend. And I've got some really high hopes for him, maybe not this season. And I think, when I talk about maybe the replacement for Dort, in terms of spiritually as the role, it is probably Williams. But positionally, it'll be Williams moving to the three and Jeng moving to the four. I don't think it happens this season. But also at this time last season, when we did the Thunder preview, I told you how long is it going to be until Jalen Williams replaces Lou Dort. And he didn't replace Lou Dort. He just started next to him. And I think we've got to be on Jeng watch here. We, we have to be on it. Aaron Wiggins. It's one of those guys that last season, whenever he started, they seemed to win. And then he would just go out of the rotation. I think he's okay, especially uh, where they got him to pick 55. But he's no you know, long-term starter upside. Shiploke, Keontae Johnson is a shiploke and a 2-8. Don't worry about him too much. And then Davis Bertans. I don't know whether he stays on this team, but much like Isaiah Joe and Lindy Waters, he can shoot. And having these guys that are absolute knockdown shooters, where you can play them at the 2 with Joe, the 3 with Waters, the 4 with Bertans, gives you a lot of lineup flexibility, which takes me back to the original point. What's Dagnot going to do? Is he just going to mix a match? And I fear that he might. The bigs, it is Chet. I think Chet is absolutely perfectly fine to grab in the 40s. If he falls to the 50s or 60s, not a problem. I did drop his block rate down. But if he, honestly, if he led the league in blocks, I wouldn't be surprised. His um, anticipation, his positioning, and his shot blocking is amazing. I, I would... I'm not, I don't predict it, and I don't think he will, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like, if you told me that Boyan Bogdanovich led the league in blocks, I'd be surprised. But if you told me Chet did it, I wouldn't. Then behind him, there is Pig Williams, who drew, I think, the most charges per minute of any player last season. Showed some shooting upside. Absolutely no defensive stats, but he's a decent defender. But he's just a backup. And then there's Poku, there's Kenrich Williams, who, again, one of those guys that just makes winning, makes winning easier for his teammates. And then there is Olivier Saar. But Holmgren, Williams, Poku, Williams, Saar, Jeng, Wiggins, Bertans, and then all those guards. There is 13, 14 players that if they played in the rotation, you go, oh, that makes a little bit of sense. There's obviously Giddy, there's Shea, there's Chet, and there's Jalen Williams as your main four guys. But then there's 10 more that could go in and out and in and out. And that's where we run to some confusion with how this team overall looks. Now, I said all of this, shitting on Lou Dort, but Durant likes him. No, my son is also named Bort. Likes him more than traditional rankings. Don't get sucked in. Isaiah Joe is uh, downgraded in Durant. I guess it's because he's quite quite significantly just a one-category sort of a player, even though he's an elite free-throw guy. And Usman Jeng gets a pretty big boost in Durant as well. Watch that. So much so that yeah, he is, again, I think he'll be used in standard leagues this season, Jen. For Bazemore, Chet's a top 20 guy. The Broncos are top 25 player. Giddy's a top 50 player. And Usman Jeng is inside the top 200, even though I'm not expecting much from him this season. And as soon as you crank that number up in Bazemore to be more towards a younger and rebuilding team, well, he does, he gets close enough to the top 120. I'm very interested in Jeng, who was, again, a lottery pick last season. We'll see what happens. And that will do it for me today. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
Broncos country, let's ride.